Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 18 Monty Cook. During the course of this podcast, we've done creator episodes about Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, which makes total sense given the fact that they're the creators of the best selling role playing game of all time, not to mention the game that basically created the role playing game genre. However, we cannot discuss role-playing games and their creators without discussing today's subject, Monty Cook. He has had a long and distinguished career as a game creator, and it's safe to say Dungeons & Dragons probably wouldn't be what it is today without his creative input and influence. So, who is Monty Cook? Monty was born on January 29, 1968 in Watertown, South Dakota. Now, Monty tends to keep a lot of his personal life private, so not a lot of information about his early life is available from interviews over the years. However, in an interview posted on flamesrising.com in 2004, Monty did report that he knew he could write from an early age and began designing his own board games from about the time he started writing. He also admitted that some of those games were quite involved. In that same interview, he stated that he got into role-playing games when he was around the age of 10. Ironically enough, he heard about role-playing games in Sunday school, and he began his journey into role-playing games by playing with some of the folks from there. From that point, he picked up D&D books, but he added that he also played Villains and Vigilantes, Gamma World, Aftermath, Lords of Creation, and then later on Rollmaster, Call of Cthulhu, and a whole lot more games. Needless to say, Monty's love of games wasn't limited to genre, and his creativity, as he himself reported, started at an early age. Now, as I mentioned a few moments ago, Monty tends to keep his personal life pretty personal, so I was unable to find much more information about his life before he got into the gaming business, other than a comment that he repeated several times in multiple interviews where he noted that his mother, quote, would probably be happier if I sold insurance or something, end quote, other than designing role-playing games. So we'll skip ahead to 1988, which is when Monty found himself working primarily for Iron Crown Enterprises. From 1988 to 1990, from 1988 to 1990, Monty worked as a freelancer, providing editing and writing for the Rollmaster and Champions lines of games. Now, we haven't covered Rollmaster on this podcast yet, so here's a brief description of the game. Rollmaster is a percentile dice system that utilizes both professions, which are classes in other games, and levels to help fill out character capabilities and advancement. It's a medieval-style game with all the rolls being handled with percentile dice. Monty was working on Rollmaster during the second edition of the game, which had been published in 1984. He worked on a number of supplements Iron Crown published for that system. Now, we covered Champions during the game timeline, and Monty would have been working on supplements for the third edition, which came out in 1984, as well as the fourth edition, which dropped in 1989. For a period of time, Monty was the editor in charge of the Campaign Classics line of books for the Hero System and Rollmaster games. Monty went full-time at Iron Crown in 1990, becoming a full-time designer for the company. During that period, he created the game Dark Space, which dropped in 1990. 
Dark Space is a game that combines science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and was one of the first role-playing games to use this combination of games. Twenty different worlds were detailed in the gamebook, as well as the society that basically bound them all together. The game also included religions, governments, and organizations that operated throughout the game worlds, and had races and beasts unique to the Dark Space setting. Now, Dark Space wasn't a top-selling game, but Monty's creativity was noticed by nearly everyone who reviewed the game. As you might have figured out from the way I just described it, Dark Space got only the one release, and it is no longer in print. Shortly after the release of Dark Space, Monty took over as the line editor for the Hero System and continued working on that system until he left Iron Crown in 1992. Monty headed for TSR in 1992. Now, he started there as a freelancer, where he, in his own words, quote, wrote a whole slew of stuff for the old Marvel game that never came out because the game got canceled, end quote. However, by 1994, Monty's luck would change. That year, he came to TSR full-time as a game designer. Some of his credits include D&D modules like Labyrinth of Madness in 1995 and A Paladin in Hell in 1998. He was also one of the chief creative suppliers for the Planescape line, producing dozens of supplements for that setting, including the Planewalker's Handbook in 1996 and Dead Gods in 1998. Monty also had the opportunity to design an entire game while at TSR. That game, Dark Matter, dropped in 1999. Now, I should note that by 1999, Wizards of the Coast had purchased TSR, so Monty technically worked for Wizards, but let's not get hung up on technicalities here, okay? Dark Matter, which Monty designed along with Wolfgang Bauer, is a science fiction conspiracy theory game and was designed for the Alternity role-playing system. Now, we'll discuss Alternity further in another episode. Dark Matter, on the other hand, is something we need to take a brief look at now. In Dark Matter, the Hoffman Institute is an organization that investigates strange creatures and phenomena. Basically, in this game, every strange or supernatural story ever widely told is true. The difference is that secret organizations have spread lies and conspiracies to cover up the facts, thereby hiding the truth from the average person. Players in this game take on the role of a member of the organization and investigate the mysteries that come up. Monty also wrote a novel for this setting, which was the fourth of five published. His title was Of Aged Angels, which was published in the early 2000s. Dark Matter saw much of its material incorporated into the D20 modern role-playing game when it was later released. The game won an Origins Award for Best Graphic Presentation of a Role-Playing Game of 1999. Shortly after the Wizards' acquisition of TSR, Monty was promoted to Senior Designer, and he was placed on the team working on D&D's 3rd Edition. Now, we'll break 3rd Edition down in detail in another show, but we've discussed the basics of it before. And just as a reminder, D&D 3rd Edition was literally a game-changer. Monty worked along with Jonathan Tweet and Skip Williams to develop the three core books for 3rd edition. Once they'd done that, each designer wrote one of the books based on what the group had come up with. Monty gets credit for writing the Dungeon Master's Guide, and he's admitted in numerous interviews since then 
that he is very proud of the work he did on it. According to multiple sources, including Monty Cook himself, Gary Gygax provided the design team with feedback on the Dungeon Master's Guide, noting that the material would, quote, help him become a better DM, end quote. Monty admitted that, quote, that was really cool and satisfying in a completion of the circle sort of way, end quote. Monty also worked on Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, which was published in 2001, and the D20 version of Call of Cthulhu, published in February 2002. In an interview he did in 2000, Monty said of his involvement with Wizards in D&D, quote, It's a great time to be working here because every product is big, important, and innovative. End quote. However, Monty's time working with Wizards of the Coast wouldn't last as he left the company in 2001. He didn't stop creating gaming product, though. In 2001, his book, Beyond the Veil, was published for Atlas Games' Penumbra D20 system. It was one of the later books in that particular series and one of the better-reviewed books in the line. Monty's next step? Start his own company. In 2001, he started Malhavik Press, which began life as an imprint of White Wolf's Sword and Sorcery Studios, which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast. The first release for the imprint was 2001's D20 system book, The Book of Eldritch Might. Besides being another gem of Monty's creative output, The Book of Eldritch Might was the first commercial book that was published exclusively as a PDF that was released by a print publisher. For the record, this wouldn't be the last book that was done this way. I mentioned that The Book of Eldritch Might was another gem of Monty's, and that's not an exaggeration. It was a hit out of the gate and has been widely credited with demonstrating the viability of the PDF format of publishing within the role-playing industry. Prior to this release, PDF releases were primarily novels, as it was believed by many that role players just had to have the actual books in their hands in order to game. Now, while this is still true for many gamers, there is a large and growing number of gamers who actually prefer to have their game books in a PDF format. The majority of the early releases from Malhavik Press were released in the electronic-only format, but since then, most of them have gotten print versions from White Wolf Inc. Another Monty Cook release under the Malhavik banner was Arcana Unearthed, a variant player's handbook. Released in 2003, Arcana Unearthed is based on the D20 system, but because it modified the rules for character advancement, it technically cannot be called an official D20 product. However, it utilizes the open gaming license from Wizards of the Coast, which makes sense since Monty was a huge part of the creation of D&D 3rd Edition, which led to the D20 system and the open gaming license. Arcana Unearthed is set in Monty's world, dubbed the Diamond Throne. It's a setting dominated by giants and reportedly one of the better settings for this area of role-playing games. Monty focused on two primary themes in this book, ritual and character choices. In fact, character choices are emphasized far more in Arcana Unearthed than in any D&D product I've seen, and it includes the potential for character transformation, such as Feyen becoming winged sprites. Monty emphasized the importance of avoiding archetypes in character creation and urged players to be more creative in their character creation. Now to some, this was a thinly veiled reference to D&D because D&D tends to focus a lot more on archetypes when creating characters. 
Arcana Unearthed was very successful, winning a Gold Any Award for Best Game and a Silver for Best Art Cover in 2004. There was also a director's cut of the game released in 2005 called Arcana Evolved. It adds content from two other books, The Diamond Throne and The Player's Companion, and adds new materials for players to utilize. Malhavik released a number of additional books to support this game, and I was able to find a number of players online who raved about how much fun this game is to play today. Around this same time, Monty found himself in a bit of controversy, which is exceptionally rare for him throughout his career. He made the decision to sell all of his electronic D20 system material exclusively through the store at DriveThruRPG.com. Now, that wouldn't have been a big deal, but at that time, DriveThruRPG utilized a proprietary digital rights management encrypted PDF system. Yeah, that's where the controversy began. See, because of that proprietary system, customers who purchased the PDF on DriveThruRPG also had to purchase or acquire the PDF program so they could read the book they just bought. It upset a lot of customers and led Monty to eventually change course and sell his products in a standard PDF form. For the record, DriveThruRPG eventually began doing the same thing. Now, I want to take a minute to cover this just a bit more because I think some of you might be getting the wrong idea about this. The PDF encryption system was not intended to be a money grab by DriveThruRPG or by Monty Cook. I've scoured dozens of articles published at the time and I can confirm that. So if it wasn't a money grab, what was it? Well, you have to remember what was going on at that time for this to make sense. In 2004, e-commerce was really starting to take off, and with that, we were seeing a ton of materials available from pirate sources. So in other words, there were a ton of folks giving away materials for free that creators weren't seeing a dime for. The biggest example of this would be Metallica versus Napster, though I've never been convinced that was about money either. The idea here, then, was that the PDFs would be encrypted so that the torrent crowd wouldn't be able to easily post the materials online for free. Granted, with a bit of work, there's not a whole lot of encryption that can't be eventually broken, but I think the idea was that if someone had to work at it, they'd move on to something else. So basically, then, the idea was to protect the creators of the product from having their materials given away against their will. And I have to note that game creators and writers don't make a ton of money, so losing out on any money can be a very big deal for them. Anyway, that's what that was all about. So, having covered that, let's fast forward to August of 2006. Malhavik released Ptolus, which is a campaign setting based on Monty's home game. That home game was used as the playtest campaign for the designers of D&D 3rd Edition. Patolus is a massive book, checking in at 672 pages and including a CD-ROM with an adventure on it. At the time, both Monty and Malhavik called it the most deluxe role-playing product ever published. Patolus is the city the majority of the game takes place in and around, and it has numerous dungeons for exploration. Patolus also presented some new races, as well as new twists on old races from D&D. As you might expect from a Monty Cook product, it was well-reviewed and sold well. It picked up the 2007 Any Award for Product of the Year. Monty has stated in numerous interviews over the years that Patolus was the culmination of his original ambitions for Malhavik when he started the company. 
With that in mind, shortly after Patola's released, Monty announced he would be focusing solely on writing fiction and other creative works, and that he would not be writing any role-playing games for the foreseeable future. Shortly after that announcement, White Wolf and Goodman Games announced his final two RPG books. White Wolf released Monty Cook's World of Darkness in 2007. As one might guess, this was Monty's take on the White Wolf brand of modern horror. Again, it was well-reviewed and sold well. Goodman Games dropped Dungeon Crawl Classics number 50, Vault of the Iron Overlord, in 2007 as well. But, to quote Michael Corleone in Godfather 3, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Yeah, all right, it's a bad Pacino, who cares? See, at the time, Monty was publishing a live journal online. Thanks to fans demanding more material from Monty on the live journal, as well as copious postings on the Malhavik message boards, Monty released The Book of Experimental Might in early 2008. Due to its success, he dropped one more book, The Book of Experimental Might 2, Bloody, Bold, and Resolute, shortly thereafter. Then, Monty took his break from role-playing games. We'll talk a little bit about his fiction writing in a bit, but for now, let's stay with role-playing games and skip forward to 2011. Monty returned to role-playing game creation, as well as Wizards of the Coast, in 2011. On September 20th, 2011, it was announced that Monty would be taking over Mike Merle's Legends and Lore column on the Wizards website. In January of 2012, it was announced that Monty would be the lead designer for D&D 5th Edition. However, he wouldn't see the project through to completion as he left Wizards in April of 2012. At the time, Monty reported that his departure was due to, quote, differences of opinion with the company, end quote, but, quote, not with my fellow designers, end quote. It should be noted that D&D 5th Edition has Monty's fingerprints all over it, if you know where to look. And I will show you where to look when we break down that edition of the game in another episode. Monty decided he was back in the business of designing role-playing games, though, and quickly moved to form his own company again. He teamed up with Shanna Germain to found Monty Cook Games LLC in 2012. The first game released by this new partnership was Numenera. It was funded by a Kickstarter campaign that raised over $500,000 by the way, its goal was 20 grand. Playtesting was announced on October 30th, 2012, and the game dropped on August 14th, 2013. Numenera is a science fantasy game set in the far distant future. The setting is called the Ninth World, since eight civilizations have risen and fallen prior to the current era. What makes character creation way different from other games is that the idea behind creating a character is filling in the blanks in the following statement. I am a blank, blank, who blanks. Blank one is the character's descriptor, which describes the character's strongest characteristic. Blank two is the character's type, which is either a glaive or warrior type, a nano or tech type, or a jack or jack of all trades. Blank three is the character's focus or what the character is either most known for or their special talent. You've also got the fact that there's technology left over from previous civilizations, 
which can be interesting considering the base tech level for this game is medieval. Numenera has been widely successive and popular and has won the 2014 Origins Award for Best New Role-Playing Game. The Strange is another Kickstarter-backed game which was released in August of 2014. The Strange is another science fantasy game, though this one is set on a modern-day Earth. The system allows and encourages GMs to take their stories through different recursions, which are worlds based on literary creations. The Strange uses the same system for creation as Numenera does, and while it hasn't been quite as successful, its popularity means it's still being played by a good number of people. Oh, and since I mentioned Kickstarter numbers for Numenera, let's look at the numbers for The Strange. The Strange raised about $419,000 from about 2,800 backers, so yet another wildly successful campaign for Monty. The Cypher System rulebook is an explanation and expansion of the Cypher System, which is what Monty is calling the system utilized for both the Numenera and the Strange. This book is intended to teach GMs how to use that system and provides additional information for the classes, skills, and other important items for GMs to drop into their own campaigns, regardless of the genre. The Cypher System rulebook was originally published in 2014 and has since gotten a second edition. No Thank You Evil is a storytelling adventure game literally created for play by the entire family. The rules are written so that they can be scaled up or down depending on the ages of the players. It uses a modified form of the cipher system for character creation and allows for simplified play rules as well. The entire idea of this game is that it allows for an entire family to enjoy the role-playing experience together with games that are more fun and fantasy and less hack and slash. By the way, if you're interested in trying this game, it has its very own website, nothankyouevil.com. Much like the other games from Monty Cook Games, this one was also Kickstarter funded, raising a hundred grand to fund its production and was released in the fall of 2015. Invisible Sun, another Kickstarter-funded game utilizing the Cypher system, was released on September 20th, 2018. It's surreal fantasy, meaning that a lot of what you think you see, experience, and know in the game, you don't. What makes Invisible Sun different from other games is the massive amount of stuff available in its print version, known as the Black Cube. Hardcover books, cards, tiles, dice, maps, it is a literal ton of stuff. Now, there's also a PDF version of the game available, but obviously it doesn't have all the other neat stuff with it. The Black Cube version of the game is sold really well. In fact, when I checked the Monty Cook Games website, it's showing a low inventory of the game at present, so good on them. I also checked some reviews of the game, and while some reviewers loved the amount of stuff in the game, others dogged the company for putting out so much stuff in one product. One thing none of them could argue about, though, was the quality of the game itself. Across the board, reviews of the game have been positive. Now, while nothing new has been announced on the Monty Cook game production front, he is still as active as he's ever been, appearing across the convention circuit, not only on panels, but also at the Monty Cook Games booth, chatting with fans and talking about gaming. So let's look at his career as an author. Monty is a graduate of the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop, having graduated in 1999. 
He's published the novels The Glass Prison and Of Aged Angels, and he's also published novels for the lines of many of his role-playing games. In addition, he's published a ton of short stories, such as Born in Secrets, which was in Amazing Stories, The Rose Window, it was in Realms of Mystery, and A Narrowed Gaze, that was in Realms of the Arcane. He also has a continuing Call of Cthulhu fiction series called The Chandler Chronicles, available in Game Trade magazine. He has also written a non-fiction book, The Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracies. Monty has also lent his talents to writing dialogue for the MMORPG game Marvel Heroes. As you can see, Monty Cook has more than earned his reputation as one of the best game creators out there and his legend only continues to grow. So with that, we come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we'll dig into the history of Dungeon Magazine and Dragon Magazine. That is a lot of history for one episode, so we should be having a whole lot of fun doing that. As always, i got to send a shout-out to For The Loot Gaming. If you're into watching streaming games, check them out. You can also hit them up on Twitter, at For The Loot Gaming. Hey, it goes without saying, but <laughs> this is a podcast, so I got to say it anyway. You folks are the absolute best. Our little show here keeps growing every week, little by little, but we are growing. The biggest thing you can do to support us is to keep telling folks about the show. The more listeners we get, the more episodes I get to do, and the less it's just me being a half-crazy guy talking to himself in front of his computer, for which my wife thanks you. <laughs> and as always, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for making this podcast a part of your day, your week, your month, or even... No, sorry, I was going to break into friends. Just kill me now. <clears throat> All right, you can connect online with us on Facebook at Roleplaying History Podcast, Twitter at Roleplaying P, YouTube. Of course, we've got our own channel, Roleplaying History Podcast. Click on the subscribe button and hit the bell to get alerts when we drop new stuff. And if you're into email, drop us an email, roleplayinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. I can assure you I personally respond to every email I get. Next week, we are going to check out both the Dungeon and the Dragon. Magazine, that is. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your Role Playing History.